My text this morning is found in the book of Ecclesiastes, the first chapter, find Psalms and Proverbs and then Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. In July of 2021, I preached a message here from verse 1 that I titled, Vanity of Vanities, All is Vanity. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, concluded at the end of his life that everything and everyone except one thing and one person was vain, futile, and ineffective. That's what vain means. Solomon's father David said to the Lord, Behold, Thou hast made my days as a handbreadth, and mine age is nothing before Thee. Then he said, Verily, every man, every woman, everybody, at their best state is altogether vanity. Psalm 39.5 Everything and everyone at its best. <laughs> vanity. In the end, just useless pointless, ineffective, except for one thing. Just one. Jesus Christ. He's the one thing needful. There's only one thing needful, and that's Jesus Christ. That's salvation in Him. Has God revealed to you that you need Him? Are you like Martha, careful and troubled about many things? Or are you more like Mary who chose that good part which shall not be taken away from her? That's something that can't ever be taken away from you. Salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. No man can pluck me from His hand. He's greater than all. If I'm His, I'm forever His. If, I, if He ever loved me, He loves me still. What shall not be taken from us? The knowledge of Christ. That's what Mary chose. The good part. Salvation by Him. Faith in Him. She said at Christ's feet and heard of Him. And she heard from Him. You know, that's the only way that we hear. He's the sum and the substance of the Word that she heard. This is the one thing needful and the one thing necessary. So, have you chosen the good part? If you have, it shall never, never be taken away from you. Notice in verse 1 the emphasis that Solomon put on preaching. And rightly so. You know, religion today has made preaching the gospel uh, the most important thing that it is secondary. It, it kind of comes down the line of a list of things. But here, Solomon wrote the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And notice that the title preacher there is capitalized. The word king is not. Solomon here is putting more importance and significance on his calling as a preacher 
than on his appointment as king. And it truly is. You know, we, we think of the president, what a high calling. There's no higher calling than that of a preacher. <laughs> and Solomon knew that. And at the end of this earthly life in this flesh, the preaching of the gospel, dear friends, will prove to be the, the one and the only thing that is needful. The hearing of the gospel, the truth of the scriptures, the Bible, God's word will prove to be the most important and crucial thing that we could ever do for ourselves in order to have eternal life. The truly needful thing in this life, in this world, is to attend the preaching of the gospel. Not to attend church. A lot of people attend church. A place where the gospel, the gospel is not preached is not a church. Well, that's I've been accused of that. Well, you think you're the only ones. No. No, I don't. I, there's others. I know they are. I know. Our Lord said, upon this rock, that, speaking of that confession of the Lord Jesus being the Christ, the Son of the living God, upon this rock, that confession, the church is built. It's the church that believes the Lord Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that the gates of hell shall not prevail against. Not a building. Those who believe and trust in Christ. There is no church where there is no Christ preached. There's no church where there's no gospel preached. In Acts chapter 2, verse 47, we're told that the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Saul persecuted the church. Believers. He didn't go up to someone's house where they met and just kick the side of the house. No, he persecuted believers. He didn't persecute the unbelieving Jews. He, he was an unbelieving Jew at the time himself. Saul made havoc of the church. Those who believed. He took them and drugged them out of their houses and threw them into prison. He held the coats of those who stoned Stephen. The church is made up of believers in Christ. Not those who confess another Jesus. Not those who trust in their adding to what He did. Not those who have decided to let Him have His way in their life. Not those who have given Him His heart. The church of God is not founded on what sinners do for God, but upon what Christ, the rock, has done for sinners. Only the church is going to be saved. Only those who are saved are called the church. And I mean to be elementary here. I mean to be redundant. We need to get this in from here to here. That's a long 18, 19 inches, isn't it? The gospel is the means that God uses to save the church, them that believe. The world calls it foolishness. They do so because they're perishing. That's what Paul said. He said, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish. 
foolishness, but unto us, the church. It's the power of God to be saved. To those who are saved, it's the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18 Men and women perish because professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. Romans 1.22 Paul continued on there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19 and wrote, For it is written, I, speaking of God, will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Prudent means the self-confessed wise, those who confess themselves to be wise. And then he asked, where is the wise? <laughs> where is the scribe? Where are those professional transcribers of God's Word who thought they knew so much? Where is the disputer of this world? Where is the debater, the argumentative one who claims to know all? Hath God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? People look at what we do here, listen to what we say here, and they say just foolishness. And yet, they're the foolish ones. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom, their wisdom, the world's wisdom, knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness, what the world calls foolishness, of preaching to save them that believe. And yet, to the child of God, preaching the Gospel is the most important and crucial and needful thing in all the world. That's why you're here this morning. I hope it is. The preaching of the cross, the preaching of the Christ of the cross. There's no effectual uh, effectiveness in the piece of wood that Christ hung upon. I heard Brother Henry saying a message not long ago that if you could find the actual piece of wood that the Lord was crucified upon, the best thing you could do would be to burn it. Just burn it. Because sure enough, men would start trusting in that piece of wood instead of the one who hung upon it. The preaching of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, who He is, what think you of Christ? Whose Son is He? He's the Son of God. He's God the Son. That's what He did. He was crucified in the room instead of sinners. Sinners that He knew before the foundation of the world and set His affection upon. And He's going to bring every single one of them to the saving knowledge of His blessed Son. All else, vanity. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. All else is empty, worthless, valueless, useless. <laughs> Solomon refers to himself as the preacher and this was his message as the preacher. Look at verse 2. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? You work all your life, you work hard, you save, you accumulate things. What profit is it in the end? Huh? Are you going to take any of it with you? No, Job said naked you came in this world, naked you're going to leave. 
And then he said, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's the important thing. One generation, verse four, one generation passeth away and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. And it's all vanity. One generation after the next. It's been that way since Adam's fall into sin. And this is Solomon's word in the beginning of the book of Ecclesiastes. What are his words at the end of it? That's what I want us to look at this morning. So turn with me to the 12th chapter of Ecclesiastes, the last chapter of the book. And let's, let's check it out. Had his opinion changed? Look at the verse 6, and let me say while you're turning that there are some of you here this morning that are having some trials with your elderly parents. Uh, one thing that I know for certain, if the Lord allows us to live, we too one day very soon are going to be elderly. One day very soon every one of us will experience physical death because it's appointed unto men once to die. But after this, the judgment. That's why this is so crucial. That's why all these other things don't amount to a hill of beans. One day we're going to go out and stand before God. And how much money you got or what kind of status you had in this life don't mean nothing. It's all vain. Vanity. The question is, what think you of Christ? Our parents' death and our death is appointed by God and every one of us is going to stand before God. And now everything we do and everything we are is vanity with the exception of one thing. What is it? <laughs> what think you of Christ? When you go out to meet God, that's all that's going to matter. Solomon is talking here about a man that has lived for a while and has now grown old. Look at verse 6. Or ever the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. His mind hadn't changed. His opinion hadn't wasn't different. <clears throat> now, when you grow old, your strength as a young man won't matter. It's gone. You won't have any. It'll be broken. That's what he's talking about in verse 6. Your possessions, your accomplishments, they won't matter. Your accomplishments are going to be forgotten. Your possessions are going to burn. The only thing that is going to matter is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What do you think of Him? Many believe that Solomon was in his later years when he wrote this. He lived to be 80. Some of you now are 80 years old or are older. Many of us will be there in no time. I, the last 10 years have flown by so fast that in 
another 10 years and I expect them to fly by faster. They just get faster, don't they? It's like a vapor. Here and it's gone. I'm going to be nearly 80 if I live that long. We'll be there in no time. Solomon's thoughts and opinions hadn't changed over the years. If anything, he was more resolved. Vanity of vanities. It's all vanity. All of it. Many men and women alike in their golden years become feeble. That's what Solomon's talking about in verses 2 through 5 here. He's describing the infirmities of old age. Verse 2, he says, While the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened. Some choose to understand this as the dimness of sight when we get old. By whom the sun, moon, stars become dark and harder to see. A couple years ago, I had cataract surgery. I got to where I couldn't see at all at night. And then after I had them, everything was so bright. Some of you have experienced that recently. And some choose to understand this as the um, speaking of the inferior uh, faculties of the soul, the brightness of understanding, the darkening of the mind, the judgment, the will, and the affections being darkened. The stars referring to those bright notions and ideas brought about the imagination of a younger man that are lost in old age. For what it's worth, I think it, was, it refers to, to both somewhat. And then Solomon continues in verse 2 and he says, nor the clouds return after the rain. Some understand this language to refer to the mucus and the tears that flow from the eyes, nose, and mouth that frequently attend the sorrow of afflictions that come in our later years. My. Forget who I was talking to the other day. He said, I don't feel any different than I did when I was older other than I just heard everywhere. The clouds speaking of the perpetual succession of evils and afflictions and disorders of old age. As soon as one over, one's over, another one follows. I see you shaking your head. Me too. Me too. Paul. Gene and Judy. Others of our number know something about this. Kind of like perpetual storms of health issues, isn't it? One, one after another. Verse 3, in the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble. What's that talking about? Well, the house here is meant by the human body, which is a house of clay and an earthen house uh, in which the soul dwells in tabernacles. And in old age, our bodies, they, they wrinkle and they contract and they shrink and they get stiff. They're attended with numbness and pain and tremors. And then Solomon continues and says, And the strong men shall uh, bowl themselves. As we get older, the, the thighs and the legs and the feet, which are the basis and support of our bodies, they're weakened. They begin to bend under the weight of the body and unable to sustain the weight. And then Solomon says in verse 3, and the grinders cease because they're few. The grinders here refer to teeth. 
in, which in senior years are often fewer in number and less effective. <laughs> Those who look out the windows be darkened. As we grow older, our eyes grow dim. The eyes are compared to windows because the eyelids open and close like a window does. And as I said, cataracts cause things to become dim and our eyesight is greatly hindered. It's talking about old age. Isaac was old and his eyes were dim. And it's true that old age is not for sissies. It's not, is it? Verse 4, And the doors shall be shut in the streets. The doors of our body begin to shut. We don't see well through the doors of our eyes. We don't hear well through the doors of our ears. Our speech becomes difficult, slower and, and lower throughout the doors of our mouth. And he continues and he said, He shall rise up at the voice of a bird. <laughs> what does that mean? You ever have something that wake you up and you can't go back to sleep? Well, you can hear a little something outside your window, something you wait, what was that? Then you go and you sit there with your eyes open to finally just get up. Because you can't you know, can't go back to sleep. The least noise awakes the aged out of sleep. He rises early, he's not able to go back to sleep. And then Solomon says, And the daughters of music shall be brought low. The ears, the lungs, the throat, the teeth, the mouth, and the lips, they begin to falter and no longer able to be employed in the things of enjoying or making music. These things express the weakness which are generally attributed to our senior years. Aren't you encouraged? Verse 5, Also when they shall be afraid of that which is high. Now that's not speaking of God, the Most High God, but that's speaking rather of high places, high hills, mountains, towers. Most age folks don't care for heights. You know why? Well, because of feebleness and weakness of the limbs, difficulty in breathing. When you get... You ever been into a higher elevation and you go, why am I having so much trouble breathing? Well, atmosphere is, is, is thinner and it's harder to breathe, or thicker, whichever one it is. Difficulty. Fear shall be in the way. Fears of what? Falling over this, tripping over that. Stumbling over something else. Falling is a real fear for those that are older. Men and women fall, they break their hip, and it's soon the end of them. There's a fear of these things. It says the almond tree shall flourish. That refers to the gray hairs that have, that have appeared. The flourishing of gray hairs is a sign of old age. And the grasshopper shall be a burden. You know, I, my mother, bless her heart, she had such thin skin and older age that if you just touched her, she would bruise. And this is saying if we live long enough... Uh, our bodies grow so frail that should a grasshopper jump on us, one, uh, something that's very light should leap on an aged person, it'd cause them pain and bruising. It doesn't take much. Just a grasshopper can burden one who's aged. And it says, And desire shall fall. The desire of appetite, food, pleasure, activity, whatever. I'm... I'm 68 and I have to make myself uh, get up and go most of the time. 
Get up. You know, I mean, you ever talk to yourself like that? Get up. Get with it. <laughs> you need to do something. How many times have you heard an older person say, I don't feel like doing anything? They don't. They don't. Their desire has failed. It's common for all who live this long. Because man goeth to his long home. That's speaking of the grave. And that's where we're all going. And the mourners go about the streets. We die, and those left behind come, and they pay their respects, and they mourn, and then they were soon forgotten. Why is that? Because in the end, all that we have, all that we've done, all that we've accomplished, all we've accumulated in this life is vanity of vanities. All is vanity. It don't amount to anything. And you might say to yourself, there has to be more to life than that. I've got good news for you. There is. There is. But you'll never see what God doesn't reveal to you. May God be pleased to reveal it to you this morning if He has it. God causes some to seek Him for the things that really, really matter. And that's why we need the one thing needful. Look at verse 9. And moreover, well, what does that mean? It means besides what has been said or what remains to be said, how much more excellent is it to hear something of what the Lord has prepared for them that love Him? And the means that God provided this is the gospel through preaching. Beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel. I remember when Brother Maurice died and I talked to Sue and them about this before I ever wrote an article, but I wrote an article back then that I went up to see Brother Montgomery and his foot had come out from underneath the cover and he had a, a big toe that he that got cut off in a lawnmower. And he, he was never embarrassed about it. He, 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 he joked about it. He said, look at my big toe there. And I'm like, you don't have a big toe. And he just laughed and so was I. But I'm going to tell you something. When I saw that foot when he was on his deathbed there and that toe was missing, those were the most beautiful feet I ever saw in my life. Because they brought the gospel, they preached the gospel of good news and beautiful are the feet of them that do. Verse 9, because the preacher was wise he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. In other words, the true preacher hasn't held back anything. He hasn't held back anything. We don't hold back anything. God's servants don't preach what they think is true. They preach what God says is true. Everything that God says is true. In Jeremiah 42, verse 4, the prophet Jeremiah said to Johanan, I will pray unto the Lord your God according to your words, and it shall come to pass that whatsoever thing the Lord shall answer you, I will declare it unto you. I'll keep nothing back 
from you. In Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul speaks to the church and he says, I serve the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which fell me by the lying, lying weight of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was profitable, but have showed you and taught you publicly, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. A true preacher of God is going to declare what this book preaches. If it, if it angers everyone, because it's the truth. And we tell the truth about God and about ourselves and about His Gospel. Paul went on to say, Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Well, I, I kind of, I, I like this preaching here, but this predestination stuff, I don't like it. It's the counsel of God. Well, I like to hear about the love of God, but I don't like to hear about the judgment of God, the wrath of God. It's all the counsel of God. I take to record this day, I'm pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Solomon, the wise preacher he was, did just that. That's what every faithful minister of the Gospel does. And though Solomon himself turned to folly in his old age, he recovered from that and he gained more wisdom through his fall. Through the follies and vanities of life being recovered and restored, Solomon was lifted more to teach and instruct others. You know what qualifies me to be a preacher? And someone asked me that time, well, where did you attend seminary? Where did you go to college? I didn't. Glad I didn't. What qualifies me? To preach this glorious gospel of God's great and sovereign grace is I'm a great sinner who's experienced the need of God's wonderful and great grace personally. I need it. The only other qualification that I have is that I sit under a faithful man who preached it for almost 20 years. Like Paul, I'm the worst of the worst. Like Paul, I'm less than the least. Like Paul, I'm a wretched man in need. How about you? Solomon said, I still teach the people knowledge. We teach man that he's altogether vanity in and of himself. We teach man that the world's riches, the world's glory, the world's honor, excellencies are the vanity of vanities, all of its vanity. We teach that God will only accept the perfect righteousness that the perfect Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, charges to our account by taking His sin upon Himself. We, like Solomon the preacher, encourage the sinner to take heed to what God says in this book. 
Isn't that what it says here? Take heed, there, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost had made you overseers to feed the church of God which He hath purchased with His own blood. Take heed. Take heed. That's, this is one thing needful. Take heed unto thyself and unto thy doctrine continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Take heed. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Better take heed. We have a more sure word of prophecy whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. A preacher seeks out and sets in order many proverbs from God's Word. That's what preaching is. Telling sinners what God has done for them. Not bragging on them for what they've done for God. We haven't done anything for God that's worthy of bragging. What make a thing to differ from another? What do you have you didn't receive? And if you received it, why do you glory in it as though you deserved it? The servant of God is diligent in investigating the truth. We search the sacred writings of God's Word. So there, there are some coal miners in, in this town, but I'm a word miner. That's right. I'm digging for the gold and silver of Christ and Him crucified. Uh, I, 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 I dig for it to show you, teach you, and encourage you to take heed to these things. All else is vanity. Don't amount to nothing. Verse 10, the preacher sought to find out acceptable words. And that which was written was upright, even words of truth. Every week, God called men, seek from this book, God's Word, acceptable words. You know what that word acceptable there means? You're going to like this. It means delightful. <laughs> we seek delightful words. Aren't these words delightful? They are to you if you're a sinner. We seek delightful words. That's always accomplished when we preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I can remember uh, early on in preaching, uh, there'd be times, and most of the time, you feel like a failure, and I still do. But every once in a while, you you step down and you think, hey, I did okay on that. And, I'll never forget one, one such occasion. I asked Teresa, I said, what did you think of that message? She said, well, there wasn't no gospel in it. And there wasn't. There wasn't any delightful words. No encouraging words. God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Isn't that delightful to know that God Almighty became a man and came to this earth and died in my room instead? How delightful that is. He's 
the delight and pleasure of God's people. He's the delight and pleasure of God Himself. Christ is. And no wonder Paul wrote, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. No wonder Paul said, for I determined not to know anything among you except or save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Why? Because that's all that matters. All else is vanity. It's vain. What could be more pleasurable and comfortable to God's people than Him sending Christ to be our propitiation, our covering for sin? For your sin and mine. All your sin. Every sin. Every sin you committed, every sin you're committing now, and every sin you will commit. All of them. What could be more thrilling to a wretched sinner than the pardoning of their sin by the shedding of Christ's blood? Oh, friends, these are acceptable. These are delightful words. Are they not? Peace. Pardon. Righteousness. Salvation. <laughs> more delightful and desirable than silver and gold. More pleasant and sweet than the taste of honey and the honeycomb. So much so that God's preachers seek them out. Woe unto me if I preach, if I don't preach the gospel. Not if I don't preach. There's a lot of people preaching and not saying anything. But woe unto me if I preach not the gospel, the delightful, the acceptable words of God. They're upright words, he says. They're words of truth. Upright because they're the works of an upright God. Words inspired by the upright, righteous Savior written according to the mind and the will of God. Sincere, unmixed, unadulterated with the inventions and the doctrines of men and devils. They are the means that God causes men to walk uprightly, to live soberly, to live righteously and godly in this world. Delightful words. Acceptable words. And they're even the words of truth. The truth of God who is the God of truth. The words of God who cannot lie. The truth of Christ and what He's done for sinners. The Lord said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Verse 11, and I'll hurry. The words of the wise are as goads. That's talking about an ox goad. It's talking about a probe. That's what that is. is a stick with a big sharp nail or something on the end of it that prods and pricks the oxen. And that's what the Word of God is. It's the means of pricking sinners in their heart, laying open their vileness and their sinfulness. The Word of God is an ox goad that God uses to stir the slothful and awake the sleepy, and it corrects and it reproves and it rebukes. <laughs> Thank God for these acceptable words. Again, verse 11, as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies. Christ is that nail in a sure place. <laughs> we preach Christ. He's the mighty Redeemer. He's the able Savior that cannot be moved. He's the unshakable and immovable. He's a nail in a sure place. 
He's the everlasting Head, Husband and Savior of His people. In Christ, we shall not be moved. I shall, I shall, I shall not be moved. In Christ, I won't be. Now, in and of myself, you could blow me over. Now, look at verse 12. And further by these, my son, be admonished, be encouraged, of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. There are many books in this world. Oh, you can you can get online or go to a bookstore, and you can get any kind of book you want on self-help, motivational books, even commentaries on the Scripture. Everybody's written one. How sad is it that men and women are ever learning but never ever coming to the knowledge of the truth. There's no understanding, friends, apart from divine revelation. That's what I want us to understand. Much study is weariness of the flesh, Solomon said. You know, I can sit at a desk for eight hours and study and there's nothing physical about it. And become as weary as if I had split lumber all day long. The wise man Solomon confirmed this. Much study is weariness of the flesh. Only God can reveal the salvation of Christ. None can see it apart from His divine revelation. There are many, many, many books, but there's only one book that's effectual. It's the one you're holding right now. You need to pick it up and read it. You need to dig into it. The Holy Bible, the book of truth, we search the Scriptures. They testify of Christ. Jesus Christ is the beginning and the end. He's everything in between. He's that crimson thread that binds this book together. He's the sum and substance of God's Word. Salvation is found only in Him. And by nature, we will not come to Christ that we might have life apart from God making us willing in the day of His power. He must give us life. He must make us willing. He must save us if we're to be saved. All else, vanity. Vanity of vanities. And in verse 13, Solomon says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Here it is. There's only one thing that matters. There's only one thing that's not vain and vanity. There's only one thing that's needful. It's the conclusion of the whole matter. Christ did for us what we could not do for ourselves. That's it. That's it. We fear. We reverence God. We keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man, Solomon said. How, how do we who are nothing but sin and can do nothing but sin keep the commandments of God? Only one way. Only in Christ who kept the law of God perfectly for us. Only in Christ who fulfills the law and satisfied God's justice for us. He's the one thing needful. All else is vanity. It's our duty to strive to do so. It's our reasonable service to the One who loved us and died for us. In verse 14, For God shall bring every work into judgment and every single thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Now in the day of judgment, when all of us stand before God, whatever's been done by men and women from the beginning of the world, will be observed by the omniscient God. He knows everything. We we not hiding anything from God. 
It's all been registered in the book of His remembrance. The sovereign judge will bring all things into account on that awful day. Whether they're good or evil, the things are done in the body. And that's why men should fear God and keep His commandments because it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And with every secret thing, things that are committed in secret, well, they're naked and open unto the God with whom we have to do. We're not getting anything over on Him. All we are, all we have, all we've done will be useless, pointless, Futile and vain. It's all vanity. Except for one thing. What do you and I think of the one who took our sin, our guilt, our sorrow, paid our debt in full, and provided for us a perfect righteousness and, and conformed us to His perfect image? Jesus Christ has made to me all I need. Everything I need is in Him. He's the good part. He's the one thing needful. So let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Christ is all. <laughs> Isn't that it? Three words. Christ is all. Knowing Him is eternal life. He that hath the Son hath life.